WLRN Edition 68, broadcasting in 3, 2, 1. I was born woman, off my knees I will stand for my liberation, sisters rise again. I was born woman, off my knees I will stand for my and welcome to the 68th edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. This is Aurora Linnea. Welcome to the show. This month's edition focuses on women's intentional communities. Check out womensliberationradionews.com for my essay on the subject entitled Necessary Utopias. Although women's communities and the feminist utopian visions behind them are sometimes dismissed nowadays as unrealistic or escapist, I look at the very real, practical value of these communities for women across the globe and throughout history. From the women's village Emoja in present-day Kenya to the medieval communes of the European religious women known as Beguines. In today's show, we'll hear an excerpt of an interview Thistle did with a lesbian couple that lives in a women's community in Florida, in addition to Sekhmet Sheowl's take on the topic. But before that, we'll dive into Jennifer Billick's monthly special report on the gender industry, and then Emily Ann Lorenzen will deliver WLRN's world news segment, so stay tuned. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Jennifer Billick from the 11th Hour blog with her special gender industry report for this December 2021. Hi all, this is Jennifer Billick with a special report for Women's Liberation Radio News. I report here on the global gender industry from the 11th Hour blog. Before we can resist the psychological warfare being perpetrated against humanity in the name of gender identity ideology, we need to be completely cognizant about what is happening and why it is happening so we can develop more effective strategies to resist it. Gender identity ideology promotes the deconstruction of sexual dimorphism and normalizes body dissociation so people become comfortable with more invasive forms of technological reproductive procedures and an even greater reliance of our species on technology in general. It cultivates a sense of body dissociation in young people, especially young women, and the idea that they are not intrinsically connected to their biological reproductive capacities. The goal is a complete technological takeover of reproduction of the human species. Women's biology is being deconstructed for this purpose, not just legally or linguistically, but in material reality. There are currently over 40,000 young women who are clamoring for funds to have their healthy breasts removed on the financial campaigning app GoFundMe. One third of women have hysterectomies. 
our eggs and our wombs are being used for capital in the big fertility market. Pharmaceutical corporations are promoting and selling breast amputations and hysterectomies to young women for identity purposes in medical conferences and on their social media sites. C-sections in Brazil, the country with the greatest number of women having them, are up 80 to 90 percent in some hospitals. Some are resisting this technological takeover of reproduction and the de-sexing of women, but the attacks on women doing so are extreme, to say the least. This is not some free-floating hatred of men against women. Men's hatred of us is being cultivated to support the colonization of our bodies so that the extraction can be continued. As happens in the process of all colonization, those in the way of the extraction must be vilified to excuse the brutality of the process. This is the capitalist market coming for our humanity. Our roots as a species are in sex. This extraction process is well underway with the same billionaires funding gender clinics also investing in big fertility enterprises, creating a pipeline from gender clinics for children to sterilize them to big fertility to help them reproduce. Big fertility, commoditizing our sex into saleable parts is where the gender industry pipeline leads. Commercial surrogacy, the renting of women as wombs, the freezing of our eggs and in vitro fertilization will be even more desirable commodities when there are larger parts of the population who've had their sex damaged with drugs and surgeries. Technological reproduction is also needed by lesbians and gay men who wish to have children biologically related to them, which is in part why gender ideology has been rolled out under the LGB human rights banner. Beyond surrogacy and big fertility, men who speak with mouths that say they are women who have appropriated our biology for themselves are vying for the capacity to lactate and feed babies from their chests. Research has begun so that one day they might also have womb implants in effort to mock being pregnant. Beyond that, there is research being done into gestating babies outside of women's wombs. Society is being engineered in this way out of the bounds of what makes us human. This is precisely the goal. We must reframe this issue to expose the industry that is taking over the reproduction of our species and dismembering us in the process. Thank you for listening. This has been a special report from the 11th Hour blog for Women's Liberation Radio News. Please join us at the blog and support our efforts if you can. Thank you. Thanks, Jen. Now we turn to the headlines with WLRN's own Emily Ann Lorenzen. Take it away, Emily. Thanks, Aurora. This is Emily Ann with the World News from WLRN for this Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. Women's rights continue to roll back since the Taliban resumed power over Afghanistan three months ago. Under new media restrictions, women are forbidden from appearing in television shows. Women may present the news, but they must wear a headscarf. The Taliban also announced that women cannot return to school for the rest of the year but they will return to their education under, quote, Islamic principles and in accordance with national interests, unquote. The Taliban has also stated that they are working on guidelines to allow women back to work. The announcement regarding women's education was reported on the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, a stark reminder that 9 out of 10 Afghani women living under these oppressive conditions 
experience domestic violence at least once in their lifetime. Unfortunately, this lifetime of abuse begins early since child marriage is on the rise in the country. Crippling poverty is driving parents to sell their daughters as young as 20 days old for a future marriage in exchange for a dowry. The National Statistics Center of Iran announced that 9,753 girls between 10 and 14 years old were married in spring 2021, showing a 32% increase compared to last year. Girls between 10 and 14 gave birth to 969 babies, and girls between 15 and 19 years old gave birth to 44,896 babies. 70% of these marriages, which should more accurately be called rapes, result in divorce. Many of these children run away or attempt suicide. A social harm researcher states that the actual statistics are probably five to six times higher than the announced numbers. And he called for child marriage to be made illegal in Iran. Thousands of women demonstrated in Madrid on the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. There were also protests in Barcelona, Valencia, and other cities in Spain. The government renewed funding for programs to combat sex-based violence and to help victims. Spain recently redefined rape in the law as all non-consensual sex, and it redefined quote-unquote gender violence crimes to include the murder of all women by men, regardless of the man's relationship to the victim. Previously, those murders were only counted if the man was in a relationship with the woman. In 2021, 37 women were killed compared to 46 last year in Spain. Women in Istanbul also protested on the International Day of the Elimination of Violence Against Women the main point of contention is that Turkey withdrew from the Istanbul Convention, an agreement to protect women that includes 45 countries. The government withdrew from the agreement because it was, quote, hijacked by a group of people attempting to normalize homosexuality, unquote. A representative of the Women's Defense Network said, quote, women are filling the streets because in Turkey and all over the world, male violence is increasing. We are in the streets to call for the right of women to defend themselves, to call for justice for women who were killed, for their right to work, for the rights of lesbian women, unquote. In the following clip, women cheer and protest to a rhythmic beat. During the march, hundreds of riot police stood behind barricades with half a dozen water cannon trucks and dozens of buses to transport detainees behind them. Police spread out with rubber pellet guns, tear gas canisters, plastic zip ties, and gas masks. Protesters shouted, open the barricades, for about half an hour. Then riot police fired rubber bullets and tear gas canisters into the crowd causing the crowd to disperse an hour later. An all-women militia has formed in Myanmar's Sagaing region. 
The government was toppled by a military coup in February, and the country has been wrought with violence ever since. Junta military forces have killed 1,275 civilians since the coup, and rights groups have decried the military's weaponization of sexual violence. A 16-year-old girl quit high school to become a commander in the Muang Women Guerrilla Group after witnessing soldiers attack unarmed civilians. She said, quote, The local civilians must flee their homes when the soldiers arrive in the village. I shed tears whenever I see them in refugee camps, and it motivates me to fight. I have no fear because I was willing to give up my life when I signed up to be in the group. I want to fight for democracy, unquote. The following clip is of the Mwang Women Guerrilla Group training. The Supreme Court of South Korea ruled that child sex dolls should be banned. This ruling overturned the lower court's decision that imports of child sex dolls should be allowed because they are sex toys used in private. This case dates back to September 2019, when the Regional Customs Office put the import of a small female sex doll on hold for obscene material that harms public morals. The Seoul High Court ruled in favor of the importer, allowing the entry of the child sex doll. However, the Supreme Court has sent the case back to the High Court for reconsideration, stating, quote, Using the item in this case for its intended purposes can lead not only to creating distorted perceptions and abnormal attitudes treating children as a sexual object, but there is also a fear it could increase the danger of potential sex crimes against minors." Unquote. In Catania, Italy, the fifth annual event against violence against women, This Is Not Love, presented alarming data. About 89 women a day are victims of sex-based violence in Italy, and 62% of the cases are domestic abuse. Murders of women were 48% of all murders in January through August 2020, and fell to 41% during the same period this year. The rise last year was due to the COVID-19 lockdowns. The Interior Minister announced that new norms would be introduced, including increasing prison terms. Italy and the Council of Europe called for an end to violence against women 10 years after the Istanbul Convention. The group of experts on action against violence against women and domestic violence published its first general recommendation on the digital dimension of violence against women. Quote, the recommendation covers online acts of violence against women, such as sharing humiliating images, insults and threats of death and rape, and also crimes perpetrated through the tracking technology reported on by cybersecurity companies. The recommendation calls on action to prevent perpetrators from controlling a woman's ability without her consent to acquire, use, and maintain economic resources 
by controlling bank accounts and financial activities through internet banking. It promotes digital literacy and online safety and formal curricula and at all levels of education and training on digital expressions of violence against women for relevant actors, from law enforcement and criminal justice professionals to members of the judiciary and healthcare staff." Unquote. France has created a new process for women to formally report domestic and sexual violence that circumvents police stations at places where women feel comfortable filing complaints. This measure comes after tens of thousands of women in France shared testimonies online about police victim blaming or mishandling reports of sexual abuse. Now women can file complaints at some place where they feel safe. The government will send police officers to women so they can file the complaint, including at a friend's house, a lawyer's house, at the hospital, at a doctor's house, etc. The new filing process will be rolled out in select regions for now, but the aim will be to make the process nationwide. In the UK, cosmetic surgery ads aimed at kids under 18 will be banned. Cosmetic surgery clinics are forbidden from advertising procedures like breast enlargement, nose jobs, and liposuction to minors. The new rules will also bar ads on all media, including social media, billboards, posters, newspapers, magazines, and radio. Social media influencer marketing aimed at minors will also be banned. The Committee for Advertising Practice writes the codes that all UK advertisers must follow, and it launched an investigation into the harms of these ads on minors' mental health and body image issues. It is illegal to perform cosmetic procedures on minors, but there have been no restrictions on advertising. Unlike the controls around marketing junk food, alcohol, and gambling in the UK, these new restrictions will begin May 2022. The number of trans-identified people in prisons in England has risen 21% in two years. There were 163 in 2019 and now 197 in 2021. Since the data on trans-identified prisoners was first collected in 2016, each year there has been an increase. The majority of them are trans-identified males. The High Court ruled in July that the government can house trans-identified males in female prisons. A female prisoner, known as FDJ, legally challenged the policy, which was rejected by two High Court judges. Official numbers show that trans-identified males carried out seven sex attacks on female prisoners in 2020. Women's Liberation Front has filed a complaint at the United States District Fresno Division on behalf of women who are currently or were previously incarcerated for sexual and physical abuses by trans-identified males against female prisoners. The Transgender Respect Agency and Dignity Act was enacted on January 1st, and at least 23 males have been transferred into women's prisons, with hundreds more requesting placement, and no request has yet to be denied. The plaintiffs in the case are Janine Chandler, Crystal Gonzalez, Tamikia Johnson, Nada Ramiro, 
and Woman to Woman, a California nonprofit that focuses on incarcerated women and is run by Amy Ichikawa. The women's sexual, physical, and mental safety are at risk, as well as their religious liberty, since two of the plaintiffs are devoutly religious and claim that their religious rights are being infringed upon by being forced to share spaces with males and affirm their so-called identity. That concludes WLRN's World News segment. Share your news, stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at womensliberationradionews.com and let us know what's going on. Little Ditty was written by Emily and Thistle and performed by them and the rest of the WLRN crew. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of an interview Thistle did with Becky Bowen and Nancy Manahan, a lesbian couple that lives in a women's community in Florida near North Fort Myers on Carefree Boulevard. Their community has been thriving for the past 25 years and has nearly 500 residents, almost all of whom are lesbians. To hear the full interview with Becky and Nancy, wherein they talk about the racial and socioeconomic makeup of their community, as well as how their community has responded to the COVID-19 pandemic, check out WLRN's website at womensliberationradionews.com. But for now, here are some excerpts of their conversation with Thistle that were meticulously selected for today's program, emphasizing the joys of women's community. Take a listen. Nancy, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I grew up in Minnesota, lived for 20 years in San Francisco in the Napa Valley, came back to Minnesota. Uh, I'm a college English teacher and massage therapist, and I also ran a carpet and upholstery cleaning for several years. And um, my first book, Lesbian Nuns Breaking Silence, 
was a very life-changing experience for me because it was one of the first lesbian books that went mainstream and was the subject of tremendous controversy. Uh, my second book was about lesbian Girl Scouts, and it has just been released, re-released this year and updated a bit. It's called On My Honor, Lesbians Reflect on Their Scouting Experience. And Becky and I have also written a nonfiction book together called Living Consciously, Dying Gracefully, A Journey with Cancer and Beyond. And we now live in Florida, near North Fort Myers, in a community of approximately 500 women, almost all lesbians, and we feel as if we've found our tribe. Yeah. Go ahead, Um, Becky. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Becky Bowen, and I am a retired small business owner. I have a small company that put together training materials. I have been very active in women's issues. In fact, when I was in college, I was one of the leaders of the Women's Liberation Group at the University of Minnesota. And uh, I I haven't been that active these days, although um, I... I've been writing a number of um, lesbic books, lesbian fiction books. Actually, this is the latest one that was published, uh, A Light on Altered Land. And uh, here at Carefree, one of the wonderful things about it is that we can have uh, all sorts of different activities that we can participate in. And one of them is the Lesbian Feminist Discussion Group. And one of our leaders there is Sarah Valentine, and she clued us into your radio station. And we listened sometime last summer, and we're just so impressed with with what you're doing and the people that you had on. And we just love love your your, uh, actions. Thank you so much. That means a lot coming from a couple of authors. That's fantastic that both of you are writers. When did your first book, Nancy, come out about nuns that rocked the, the, the world and was controversial? That was in 1985. Mm. And, and uh, an updated version came out from Bella Books in 2013. Nice. So are both of you, you, you continue to write. You just published something, Becky. You showed us the cover. Some yeah. lesbian fiction. So when you publish a book, does your whole community start reading it? And, you know, a lot of people do. We we usually have a publication party where we invite people to come and we'll give a reading. And we have a number of authors here. Um, And so that's uh, we have a, a writer's group. And that is one of the things that uh, happens periodically is we'll have a pub party. So I've got a new book coming out in uh, February, and that's a, a mystery. It's called The Santorini Setup. Yeah, a mystery. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a mystery that takes place on the island of Santorini. Wow, very cool. Let's talk a little bit more about your community. It's called Carefree. Yes. And I was looking at the website and I was hard pressed to find the word lesbian or the word woman, but yet all the pictures of the people (laughs) are women usually coupled up. So 
the pictures make it pretty clear that that's what this hmm. community is. Yeah. Do you what? Why do you think it doesn't say the words woman or lesbian specifically, and just shows the pictures? Well, you know, we live in a very conservative state, in a very conservative county, and it's possible that it was a decision that to kind of fly under the radar. I'm not really sure why that is. <laughs> um, I haven't looked closely at the website for a long time, so. Oh. Right. I mean, lesbians in today's world, as in the past, need protection from mm-hmm. male violence, male harassment. And that's maybe why there's no mention of the word lesbian on the website. I certainly don't get the feeling from you that there's any shame being expressed at carefree um, (laughs) community. It sounds like you have some fantastic other women there that you spend time with doing activities. What are, what's the age range of women living there? We're probably pretty representative. Becky is 69. I'm 75. There are women here in their fifties and women in their 80s. A lot of women are still working, teachers, librarians, medical professionals, uh, computer people, and they either work in the community or they work from home. So uh, lawyers who can amazingly work remotely, especially since COVID. So there are still a lot of full-time and part-time employed women here. Mm-hmm. But the majority of us are retired. Are there any children in the community? Right at the moment, no. But often children or grandchildren will live here for a time, a year or several years, and go to school locally. Huh. Sometimes, sometimes parents are here. Right now, as far as I know, there are two widowed mothers carefree women who live in their own homes. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, one, one lives with, with her daughter and her partner. Yeah. And occasionally a father or a brother will live here, too. Oh, OK. That was going to be my next question. Are men allowed to, to walk the streets of carefree and, and, go, and visit in the houses and, and be yes. in the community? Yeah. Both of my brothers have been here to visit us. Uh-huh. Yeah. Are there any women-only spaces, though, within the community, like at a community center, like women-only meetings? Like your lesbian feminist discussion group is women-only, right? Correct. And the clubhouse is essentially women-only. Men can use the pool. Men and children under 18, I think, this can use the pool from one from noon noon until one, I think something like that, or eleven to one, something like that. Just in the middle of the day, so they do have access. But for the rest of the time, it is women only space. Florida, who wants to be in the pool at noon? <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. too hot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's so, not the ideal time. So the men. No, no. And the children, it sounds like. So it's an adult. It's a women-only facility for the most part, and also an adult-only facility, Mm -hmm. which I think 
that's got to be really rare, you know, in this, in today's world where everyone's always declaring, oh, that's exclusionary. What do you hate children? You know, and (laughs) it's like, no, adult human females love each other's company and want to be in each other's company. That doesn't mean that you're exclusionary, you know, and and they've put the, those hours in, I think just to, you know, accommodate people who, well, especially who have uh, visitors and it's worked now for what, 25 years. (laughs) So there's harmony at carefree living. Yes. A lot. Amazingly. Women get along. Yes. I mean, you know, one of the things is that we've got a lot of leaders here uh, and we have people who have been the first in their profession. And so they, um, they're strong. We have some strong personalities and people who are, would be considered alpha. And it's amazing how, well, we've worked together. There are times that you know people butt their heads together because they feel passionate about the way something should be. But ultimately, you know, we're able to work things through. It's you know we we vote on issues and have an opportunity to speak at the owners' meetings and hash out the issues and and vote and. Your decision-making process at the community sounds like a democratic one. There's a a place where people can speak their opinion and argue for this or that and discuss what the issue is, and then you vote. And is it majority rule voting and one vote per um, woman, or is it per property? One, One vote per lot. Yeah. Do some women own more than one lot? Yeah, there are a few who own uh, more than one and they tend to rent them out. And um, so do those yeah. renters have an equal voice in decision making? No, no, no they don't. No. But it's, it doesn't it's not real cause for strife, it sounds like. No. And, you know, the renters are usually here for the winter season. So they're not year tend not to be year round residents. Uh-huh. And what's it like uh, walking down the street of Carefree on a typical <laughs> day? Like what might what might you see? Like if do you do you walk everywhere or are there cars? Are there golf carts? How do you get around? Well, there are golf carts and bicycles. So we have a number of bicyclists and, and some women like Nancy just got a tricycle um, recumbent tricycle. So there are a number of those around and then people walk and, um, you know, they have cars too, but I would say golf carts are pretty common, you know, and it's really great because we take a walk every morning and it takes us quite a, a, a while to get around because oftentimes we stop and talk to people. You know, there are a lot of dog owners who are out walking their dogs and, you know, we, we just tend to stop and chat. And, and so it's a very friendly place. One of the things we love about sitting out on our lanai, which is um, up against uh, the street, is we can be out there reading and we, we hear laughter coming from the street so often because women are walking down the street with each other and, 
laughing and it just gives me such a wonderful feeling for being here. Oh, that's so nice. It sounds a little bit like Mishfest. Did you ever go to the Michigan Women's oh, Music yeah, Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of a combination of Mishfest and Olivia Cruz because we have real beds and running water and shower, hot showers in our homes and and Girl Scout camp. Yes. So the, it's just the best of, of all these three marvelous uh, gatherings, all women gatherings that have been so important in my life. Two is that so many of the women here have been involved in those. I mean, yeah. they've been involved in Girl Scouts and and Mishfest and various women's music um, music festivals and and, and, and so they, they've been on multiple Olivia cruises. So yeah, these these are women who don't want who don't want to live around men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just just love the the whole ambience and and safety and joy in being in a women's community. Also, a number of the women here belong to or have belonged to RVing women. And, yeah. and they've kind of met up um, around the, the country. In fact, it's kind of funny. A lot of them have um, rigs and they take off in the spring and they go around the country visiting other carefree women. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like we can't get enough of each other. <laughs> yeah. So some of you become a mobile community in <laughs> the spring and the summer, and then you come back yeah. in the fall and the winter to nest down in Florida all together, still in a community. That is a perfect description. That's yeah. All. Oh, sounds really lovely. How did you find out about Carefree? Well, we were on an Olivia cruise a few years ago, and Becky and I love to dance, and especially ballroom dance. And every evening there was a live band and ballroom dancing, so we would go, and we noticed that there were two other couples who were very good dancers. So naturally, we struck up a conversation with them. Where are you from? And they said, oh, well, we're from Carefree. And I said, what's Carefree? She said, you don't know what about Carefree? Oh, my gosh, you have got to come. It's this community of lesbians in Florida. We have dances all the time. You two would love it. <laughs> so as soon as it worked out with our lives, we came here for a month, and we did love it. And we came back another year for three months, and we loved it even more. And the ne- we tried to find a place to rent for the following year, and there really wasn't anything available. And so we bought a home in order to be able to come back. And we're so glad we did because now we can stay for as long as we want to. We have our own our own possessions with us, and it, and it's home. It feels really more like home now than Minnesota, which is where we lived for so many decades. And we hate being cold. We just hate, (laughs) both of us hate being cold. Every time we had a chance, we came to the Caribbean to to get warm in the winter. So one of the joys for us is simply that we are never cold. Yeah. And crime, there's not much crime in your community. Not, not within the community. No, no. Not within the community. Yeah, and, it's and, gated. and it's gated. 
And are there, you know, like at Mishfest, there were these Yahoo men that would drive around in their trucks and yell and things like that. Is there no. anything like that? Haven't no. had that. No. And it's been around for 25 years, huh? Yeah. Do you think there are other carefree type communities in the United States that we may just not know about because you have to sort of hide away as a lesbian community to, to protect yourself from the larger society? The only one we're aware of is in Arizona, and it's called Superstition Mountain. Mm -hmm. And the founders of Carefree actually went there in their RV and wanted to, were thinking about purchasing property there. But they didn't like the landscape. They're from the Midwest, and they just missed green. <laughs> And they had family in the Fort Myers area. And so they were leaving Superstition Mountain, leaving Arizona. And one of them said, you know, we could start a community like that. And the other one said, no, 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 no. I'm not interested in that, that kind of work. Well, by the time they got to the next stage, she'd said, well, what would we have to do to start a community? What would be involved, do you think? And then the first one said, aha, she was hooked. <laughs> Once she got started asking that questions, question, it was inevitable. And so as far as I know, those are the only two, Arizona and Florida. Mm -hmm. And how long has the one in Arizona been going? Well, it must be longer than 25 years yeah. because they visited it when it was already established. Mm -hmm. I think that there are some women's communities in, in rural areas that are, are really tucked away, but... I, I don't know how you find those. Mm -hmm. Well, there are directories of women's land, of well, course. That's but nothing that's so organized or that would have 500 women like there are here. Are there properties currently available? How, how um, fast is the turnover rate at Carefree? Well, right now, it's the turnover rate is... Um, instantaneous practically <laughs> if someone is is selling sometimes before they even get a for sale sign up someone wants it so um it it's it's rapid turnover wow so there's clearly a demand for this kind of community yeah, yeah. yeah. um I mean, I think that a lot of WLRN listeners would be interested in a community like like Carefree. And perhaps um, somebody from that community might want to start another one. Maybe a younger member of the community mm -hmm. would maybe yeah. want to start another one in a different region of the country. I mean, it'd be great if every state, I mean, really, every state should have a community like this. You no, know, every state you know? should. Yep. Mm -hmm. and, and rental properties are very precious as well. You have to you have to either be lucky or reserve a place a year in advance to find to find a place to rent, especially during January, February, March mm -hmm. in the high season. Do you have performers that come through and perform? Oh yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And is that like Olivia Cruz's? It is. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the people who perform on Olivia Cruz's make a stop here. Alex Dobkin was here two years ago. Oh, yeah. Was so that's grateful. Wonderful. Um, and she did a concert and she did a workshop. 
Would you say that there's something for everyone that you don't have to be a music lover? You could also, maybe you're into sports. Are there sports teams that play there too? Or Yes, it's, um, they're really big on pickleball here. And oh, we have a bocce ball court and a shuffleboard court. Every other year we have what we call Rainbow Olympics. And there's a whole array of, of sports and some of them are kind of made up. Uh, like a um, the beanbag toss. Uh, there, there's a, a competitive game that comes, a team game that comes with that, and uh, table tennis, and you know all sorts of things. So water water polo, yeah, uh, volleyball. So you know people get into teams, and it's a great way to meet people and become friends too. And. That goes for ten days. Ten days. Ten days from morning till night, every single day. It's intense. Yeah, and you can sign up for as many events as you want to. But um, most people run themselves ragged the first year and then realize they can't. They can't play. They can't play nearly as many sports as they would like to during those ten days. And then on alternate years, it's what's called the winter games, and those are less athletic and more more games i mean there there's a scrabble competition and <laughs> poker competition and you know, all sorts of different things um so the the ring the ring toss yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's also nice because some of these sports will accommodate people who have disabilities i mean we've we've seen women who you know take their their canes up to a up to the throwing line and, and, and they can throw the ring. And so it's great to have, you know, people of all different levels and abilities um, be part of the competition. And it's just a lot of fun. There's a year round chair volleyball uh, game, I think three times a week at different levels of ability. So people who are in, in wheelchairs or in walkers can participate in chair volleyball as well as younger women, it's it's apparently I have never I've never played it, but apparently it's it's hilarious. There's the whole arts community. Mm-hmm. There is there are two art houses that are stocked full of every kind of art material you could ever want. There are classes in everything from stained glass to painting to mosaics, and um, there's a kiln and a very active pottery community people who who makes make ceramics beautiful oh, ceramics. beautiful there are so many fabulous artists here and once a year there is an art show and any carefree woman can enter her work in that art show and sell it or not sell it so many of the homes here are decorated with beautiful art from other carefree women Thank you for sharing the details of what you experienced there um, to really paint a picture for us uh, to get an idea of what it's like. And yes, I would totally love to visit, probably in the wintertime, because you're up in Minnesota um, in the spring and summer, right? So sometime in the winter, that would be perfect for me to escape the cold Northland um, in the winter. (laughs) So. Thank you. Thank you thanks for inviting us to, to talk about this and thank you for all the wonderful work you do. Oh.
This is Joe Brew, and you are listening to WLRN. Often, when women criticize and challenge the practice of female separatism, they demand to know why separatist women haven't taken steps to starting a female-only commune or else they argue that it's not realistic for women to do so. Female separatism has never required women to remove themselves completely from mainstream mixed society. But that said, intentionally female-only communities do exist. What radical and lesbian feminists used to call women's lands have existed since the 70s, when land and cost of living was much cheaper. Cheap enough for even single working-class women like Lisa Vogel, the creator of Mitchfest, to buy and establish those lands. The number of women's lands have dwindled over the last 50 years, but some of these communities still serve as home and refuge for women, most of them lesbians. Intentional communities are not exclusive to radical feminist and lesbian feminist women. They never have been. You can find a variety of intentional communities, most of them male-inclusive and apolitical, all over America. Usually the people who decide to live in these intentional communities are looking for a lifestyle that's more socially connected than the common alternative. They reject the isolation of the heterosexual nuclear family living in the suburbs or the big city, where neighbors remain strangers and your limited time with extended family and friends needs to be scheduled in advance. In some cases, they're looking to distance themselves from postmodern high-tech culture and live closer to nature. Female-only intentional communities do provide all the same benefits that other intentional communities do. Closer friendships, access to shared resources, a more cooperative life experience that fosters a broader sense of connection. But female-only intentional communities have always been undoubtedly political for the feminist women who create and join them. A woman who decides to live her life in a female-only community is rejecting heterosexual society's expectations of her. Marriage to a man, cohabiting with a husband, constant physical accessibility to men in general. She's actually going a step further and rejecting the expectations of anti-separatist feminists, too. 
Instead of resigning to a life surrounded by men and women who love and prioritize men, she's putting herself as a woman first. She's putting other women at the center of her daily life. She's ruthlessly pursuing freedom and joy and control of her own life in a way no woman is supposed to. According to men and their female supporters, if temporary female-only spaces can raise women's consciousness to a radical feminist level, imagine what living in a female-only community can do. The women who live in female-only communities on female-only land enjoy safety and peace to a degree that no other segment of the female population on Earth does. They're free. Free to walk around outside fearlessly, free to relax away from male scrutiny, free to talk to each other openly about their female experiences. These women know for a fact how much better life is when males don't exist in your space. They can make a real comparison between how it feels when they're in the female-only community and when they re-enter male spaces. How it felt when they were living in male society versus how it feels to live on female separatist land. These women didn't wait around for some arbitrary right time to abandon male society or talk themselves into accepting life in male society just because that's what most women do. They didn't feebly convince themselves that maybe one day living in constant contact with males would become less terrible. They decided to make female separatism as much of a reality as possible for themselves. They decided their peace and safety and friendship with other women are more important than anything else. That's radical. That's feminism. Women living in female-only communities can bond with each other as friends in ways that married heterosexual women could never even dream of doing. This bonding, done over many years, creates deeper, stronger, more authentic friendship between the women. And that friendship contributes to their emotional, psychological, and physical well-being. When you see another woman every day, share common spaces and chores with her, and have a mutual understanding and expectation that you'll take care of each other, of course you'll end up being far closer than you would if you met for dinner once a month and only ever texted each other in between those appointments. Being in constant proximity to another person is a key factor in forming, growing, and maintaining a friendship with her. Female-only communities offer women that proximity to each other, making friendships significantly easier to form and maintain than it could ever be in mainstream male society. There's very little downside to living in a female-only community built on female-only land, but it's not some utopian fantasy where nothing goes wrong and life is perfect. I'm sure women in these communities have disagreements and face challenges of an economic and practical nature. I'm sure they make sacrifices for their lifestyle. But at the end of the day, they're deeply connected to other women. They're safe from male violence and harassment at home. They aren't wasting time and energy on serving male needs. And their feminist consciousness is high. Whatever price they pay, whatever difficulties they might have in navigating community life, they're better off than the rest of us. I just hope when it's time for these women to pass their communities on, there's a new generation of female separatists to receive them. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 68th edition podcast on women's intentional communities. 
WLRN would like to thank our guests, Becky Bowen and Nancy Manahan, for sharing their stories about Carefree, a women's intentional community in Florida. Thank you so much, Becky and Nancy, for speaking with us. If you'd like to catch the entire interview, check out our website at womensliberationradionews.com. Until next time, this is Thistle signing off on another WLRN podcast. If you like what you're hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Shiaul signing off for now. And I'm April No, WLRN Canadian member and representative in the Canadian nonpartisan political organization widely known by their acronym COSBAR, Canadian Women's Sex-Based Rights. Their aim is to restore women and girls' rights and protections as enshrined in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms from the controversial Gender Identity Legislation, Bill C-16, passed in 2017. I am really looking forward to linking arms with my Canadian rad sisters and bringing more and more Canadian content in the coming months. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our program on a review of women's news from around the globe in 2021. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, January 6th, 2022. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interviews are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks for listening. This is Emily Ann signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Also, check out our YouTube channel for a variety of interesting and rich content. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please comment, like, and share widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? And then after that, where is home? Tell me, where is my home? Cause gender hurts.